You know, when we come to a time of having a, a message on some of the moral uh, issues such as Sanctity of Life, Human Sunday, it seems like I, I can't get that uh, human part in there. Let's just say Sanctity of Life. Uh, sometimes it, it causes you to uh, have a little bit of fear and trembling because I have to admit there was one Sunday that I had a message on a moral issue like this. There was a new couple that was, uh, I saw them walk in the door. I didn't know how they would take it. Um, but lo and behold, uh, they came in and that was what changed their mind to start coming to our church. And that same Sunday, there was a couple or a family that said, well, if that's what this church believes, then maybe we should find a different church. And so you have those splitting, uh, demo, dem yeah, you know, I just can't talk here today, can you? <laughs> you have those, those various emotions around the, the subject there. Uh, today we're going to look at that verse, and, and Isaiah read it for us already, Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12, rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who guards the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Lord Jesus, today I pray that you would... Uh, Help us to look at this verse. And as we look at this verse, I pray that we might um, truly see the importance of standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Lord Jesus, I pray that, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit in a very real way. Let me fade into the background and cause me to be able to Proclaim your word with all of the truth, the excitement, and the spiritual unction that your word deserves. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The college teacher walked into the classroom and he had a class on ethics. And, and this is what he asked his students. An ethical dilemma. A man has syphilis and his wife has tuberculosis. They have four children. One of them has already died, and the three others have terminal illnesses that they're going to die from, and the mother is pregnant again. What would you recommend? So the class had a, uh, a time when they discussed it and, and voted on it, and uh, they voted that uh, she should terminate the pregnancy. And then the professor simply noted, you have just killed Beethoven. And think about it for a moment or two, how many uh, children with all of their gifts and talents as this world put to death before they even have breathed their first breath. What have we lost? But then you stop and think about it. It's not what the world has lost and what humanity has lost, but you think about, and maybe even for Beethoven, what did he, what would he have lost? 
the price is enormous for the individual child, the individual unborn that is put to death. Did you realize that abortion was the leading cause of death in 2021 last year? Worldwide. This is not just a problem here in America, but worldwide. And as we consider all of this, we need to think about it rationally rather than just having impulsive actions. And when we rationally consider this, we find that it's only sensible to protect life from its earliest point. Today we're going to think about the beginning of life. We're going to talk about the protection of life and then the protection of the unborn and ask ourselves the question, where do we go from here? The beginning of life. As we think about the beginning of life, we, we consider, well, what does science say about it and what does God's Word say about it? And scientists think about it in this way. Dr. James Lamb said the, the question of where life begins is really a, a scientific question. And the scientists most qualified to answer this are embryologists, ones that study the embryo. And they concur that life begins when the genetic material of the egg and the sperm join together at conception. And that's what medical schools teach in their embryology textbooks. The clincher for me is that we think about those who are pro-choice and they, their, their argument is this. The fetus is only a, a blob of the mother's flesh and she should have the right to do with it what she wants to do. But the reality is the unborn infant is not part of the mother's flesh because it has its own DNA. It's not the mother's DNA, but it is an individual in and of itself. The real choice in pro-choice is this. After having made an impulsive choice that I now regret, I want to retain the right to choose and to circumvent the consequences of that choice, even if it means killing my own children. What does God's word say? And it, we, we had uh, uh, these, some of these verses and some of the, the things uh, were sung, uh, probably taken from these verses. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All of the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Or Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. We even had our own nature and soul from the time of conception. We remember what David wrote in Psalm 51, verse 5. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, my, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David knew that he had a sinful nature that was passed on to him from his mother and father, even from the time of conception, that his soul was there, that he was a person and had a soul from that moment. We think about when life begins. and Then we, we think about protection of life and the conscience that God has given us. And our conscience tells us that there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. And if you go into any society, you're going to find as a general rule, whether they believe in God's word or not, these things still pretty much stay the same. That a person shouldn't steal. That a person shouldn't lie. That a person shouldn't murder. Yesterday I was reading a, a, a story and I just glanced at the first part and read a paragraph or two, but it was talking about a, a prisoner who had escaped and he had been charged with cannibalism. He went into a farmer's house, cooked the farmer, and ate him with beans. And you know, we shake our heads at that. Why? Because our conscience tells us stuff like that is wrong. God's law is placed within the hearts of each and every individual. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, even defending them. But you know what? Our conscience also has been tainted by our old sinful nature. And even our conscience can tell us that, yes, maybe it's okay to do this or that. And we think about how many societies have turned their back on this inborn understanding of right and wrong. Usually it's done for momentary pleasures. We, we think about the, the Roman Colosseum. And how at, at times everyone would gather together and they would watch lions eat people just for the momentary pleasure of it. We think about people who murder out of anger or jealousy or others who overpower and steal or those that kill their unborn so that they can have a better personal life. Mother Teresa said this, and quoting her, any country that accepts abortion is not teaching the people to love, but to use violence to get what they want. That's why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion. Yes, our conscience tells us what is right and what is wrong, and our conscience tells us to protect life. We not only think about our conscience, though, but we think about the Word of God. And it doesn't take us very long, does it? We look at the Ten Commandments and we just simply see that portion of Scripture that says, Thou shalt not murder. And so we turn to the protection of life for the unborn. You know, we think about uh, human life and especially about the weakest. And what did that, those verses say from Proverbs? 
Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward slaughter. If you say we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Since life starts at conception, and it's a common value that life should not be destroyed, it's our moral obligation to protect the life of the unborn because they can't protect themselves. You know, we go to great costs at times to save the, uh, the life of wanted babies that are born prematurely. And maybe, maybe some of you have had children that were born prematurely and, and the doctors did tremendous things to save them. Doctors are able to save now uh, children down to and even below the, the size of eight ounces. Think about that. That's the size of the meat on two quarter pounders. That's small. If we go to such great cost to save the life of wanted babies, why would we allow the killing of others simply because their parents don't want to be bothered by them or that it might cause a problem if they knew that they were pregnant? So we ask the question, where do we go from here? And I honestly believe that um, we need to have revival. Revival in our own hearts. We need to have revival in our nation. The scriptures tell us, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Is it really possible that all of us have sinned in not standing up to this. What needs to take place? You know, when we find that there is sin in our lives, sin in the lives of others, what really needs to take place is that we need to have revival in our hearts, worldwide revival, where there is repentance and receiving forgiveness for what has been done. The second thing is we need to be willing to speak up in a non-confrontational way. You know, when you're talking to somebody that, that maybe is, has a different point of view, have you ever noticed that if you hit one of those hot buttons, their, their temper might flare up a little bit and they might become angry or, or, or say something that is harsh? And if we come back with something that is harsh, what happens? It puts up a bridge, uh, or not a bridge, but a, a blockade that can't be bridged so that the conversation then is, is pretty much silent. But what does God say uh, a, a better way of, of entering into a discussion when one side becomes heated? And I always think of this portion of Scripture that God says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Speaking gently, knowing that that person needs not only, not only to change their mind, but they need Jesus. Another thing is that we can uh, help in places like crisis pregnancy clinics. And this morning, I, uh, they sent out a, an email with a short just video clip. And I'd just like to share this video clip. It's uh, from the crisis uh, pregnancy clinic. 
uh, here in, in our area in Savage, Alpha Women's Center. And maybe uh, you, I can just get you guys to click on the next, there we go. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Would it be possible for us here at King of Glory to figure out some way that we could help at a crisis pregnancy clinic like this. Another way would be uh, voting. And, and we think about uh, voting and, and uh, what is one of the first things that comes to your mind when you see a list of candidates? You ask the question, would they be pro-life? And what does God think about a nation that has made it right to kill their unborn children even before they can take a breath? One of the most important things that I can think of, though, is praying. Most of you realize that we would go around to various churches uh, in the AFLC, and we went almost every other year to many of the churches, and uh, I have a good friend who is the pastor at the church in Kalispell, uh, Montana, and we went by this building. It was it looked like a house, but there were people protesting outside, carrying signs. And as I read them, it, it talked about the fact that that these uh, children were, or that these uh, people were 
were asking people to pray and that this was an abortion clinic. And I went back a couple of years later and I said, what happened to the abortion clinic? I don't see people protesting there anymore. He said, well, people prayed. And it was an amazing thing. It, it just so happened that there was a disagreement between the, uh, the mother who was performing abortions and one of her children, and, and uh, it was a, a financial fiasco that, that took place, and it just the, the, the abortion clinic just disintegrated and, and no longer was in existence. And he and everyone else just attributed it to the fact that, that people prayed. How often do we pray that this would be overturned? I'm wondering how many of us would, would seek out maybe even just a sticker to put on our, our rear window, pray for abortion to be ended. And we think about the, the Supreme Court right now. They have, this is, this is maybe one of the, the prime opportunities in our land for this whole thing to be changed. Can we commit to pray for our Supreme Court right now as they deliberate the, the decisions of, of abortion? How long has it been since abortion has been made possible in this country? Next year, it will be 50 years, if you can imagine that. And then we think about the last uh, part, and that, that there, is, there is mercy. Live in the peace that there is mercy. I can't help but think that, that there might be people here today that have had an abortion or families that have gone down that road and you have to remind yourself that there is mercy in Jesus Christ. Do you remember Paul, the Apostle Paul? One of the things that he had done before he became a Christian was that he was persecuting the church. And we think about Stephen, the first martyr, and Paul was the one that agreed for him to be martyred. They came and they laid their cloaks at the feet of Paul a sign that he was promoting what was going to be done in the stoning of Stephen. And here's what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. There is mercy in Jesus Christ for you and for others. You know, I've thought about this uh, whole thing here and I'm not so concerned I am concerned that that people would uh, that maybe have had an abortion uh, see that it was wrong and and come to Jesus for mercy and receive the joy of that but Jesus said that he didn't come so much for the righteous who didn't see that they needed forgiveness but for those who needed 
and saw they needed forgiveness. And I thought about that. How many of us, how many of us have gone the route of murder just only haven't put our arms and hands and feet to it? Do you remember what Jesus said that murder starts in the soul? with the intentions of the heart. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable for ju to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever even says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. How many times have I thought somebody else was a fool? And yet, does it shake me like if I had actually killed somebody? It doesn't. And what about you? The good news is that, yes, just like someone who had actually, actually put somebody else to death by killing their unborn, there is mercy. Paul, once again, simply said, this is a trustworthy saying, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And I think revival needs to start with all of our hearts when we consider what our life would be without Jesus Christ. You know, as I think about my life, there's not a shadow of a chance in the world that I could get into heaven apart from Jesus Christ. And yet, with Jesus Christ, there is the absolute that I am going to live with God eternally in heaven. And I pray that that's the way it is with you. Let us pray. Lord God, as we think about our lives, so many times we have failed to stand up for what is right. So many times we've maybe even hated somebody in our heart or said that they were a fool. And Lord, we don't bear a chance without you. I come to you for forgiveness. And I thank you for the promise that we find even in the children's song that we're going to sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And Lord God, I pray that we might, might hold on to that. And that it might be it might be the, the rock that we stand on every day. That I am right before God because of Jesus. Amen.